0: I grew up in Ohio, and as for, for as long as I can remember, I was attending United Methodist Churches. Well, one of the small Methodist churches I attended was in the village of Ithaca, Ohio, and it had a tradition, when I was a really young girl, of reciting the 23rd Psalm on a semi-regular basis. Now, I was very young, and I didn't really understand the meaning of the 23rd Psalm, especially the phrase... I shall not want. I didn't understand what that meant. I didn't understand that it was saying that all of our deepest needs will be met by God, God who is our shepherd. I thought it was almost a choice that we were making on whether or not we wanted God as our shepherd. And so it was rather disturbing to me that every time we recited the 23rd Psalm, I would hear the people all around me say that they didn't want the Lord as their shepherd. And it really upset me. And and I was a fairly stubborn little girl. And so in one of my first acts of rebellion, I would recite the psalm and say quite loudly, "'The Lord is my shepherd, I shall want.'" Now, I'm sure the adults standing around me thought I was just being smart aleck and they were probably annoyed with me. But I spoke up loud because I wanted to make sure that the Lord knew that one person in that church wanted him as their shepherd. I wanted to go on the record. This morning, we're continuing on in our sermon series The Lord is My Shepherd. And I'm so glad for this series because I do think that sometimes we have some misconceptions, not just in the phrases of this psalm, but sometimes we miss out on the rich and deeper meaning of these words because we read them with 21st century eyes. We read them from a place in the western part of the world, even though they were written in a far different time and place. And so I think it's helpful for us to have the sermon series where we're going to take a new look at this very familiar scripture. Last week, Dr. Long talked about the overall theme for the 23rd Psalm that we can trust in God for the entirety of our lives. We can trust that God is with us. Now, it's captured, the theme is captured in that very first statement The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then the rest of the psalm lists out the different human needs that we have and and how those needs are met. We have a need for the basic necessities of life, of food and water. And so we hear the psalmist tell us, He maketh me lie down in the green pastures, and he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. We have a need for guidance in life. He leads me on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We have a need to be free from fear fear of the known and fear of the unknown. And so we hear, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. We have a need to be comforted and be healed whenever we're broken and hurt. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. And we have a need to know that nothing in this life or the next will be able to separate us from the love of God. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This morning's scripture passage, He leadeth me on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I think is key for us to have a better understanding of the theme of this psalm. He leadeth me because God is with me. We can trust in the presence of God to lead us on the right path throughout the entire life that we have on this earth and into the next we can trust that God is with us. I think there are three things that can help us to have a better understanding of God's presence in our lives and how we can trust God to lead us. First is, in that very first part of today's scripture, he leads me. It is the shepherd who leads the sheep. Now, once I was able to finally understand the I shall not want phrase, I still had some other Uh, bad imagery of the psalm. Whenever I would hear the 23rd Psalm recited, I had a mental image of sheep being out in this green, this lush green pasture with this kelly green grass that was so high, it it was rubbing the sheep's belly, and basically all the sheep had to do was turn their head and they could graze all day. Now, it's fascinating that I had that mental image because that doesn't require a shepherd. The beauty of the psalm is not that all of the circumstances of our life are taken care of so that we might be self-sufficient. The beauty of the psalm is that we can be with the one who is all-sufficient and who can lead us on the right path, no matter the circumstances we face in life. My misunderstanding of that context reminds me of an old story of a painting contest. They held a painting contest to determine who could best represent the meaning of peace. Who could capture peace in a painting? And and so as you can imagine, there were lots of tranquil paintings of a sailboat kind of drifting on a very smooth sea There were lots of paintings of sunsets and lots of pastoral scenes of deer and sheep grazing in in lovely little meadows. But the winner of the contest was something quite different. It was a tree in the midst of this violent thunderstorm. And it was so dark and powerful that you could almost feel the rain beating down in the scene and the, the wind howling through the branches of the tree. And there in the middle of the tree on one of the branches was a bird's nest. And there was a mother bird with her wings outstretched, keeping her brood safe and dry. The meaning of peace was not that the circumstances would be all sunny and and nice, but that they would be with someone who sheltered them from the storm. The meaning of the 23rd Psalm is that we are with the one who is all-sufficient to take care of us and guide us on the right path. Whatever the circumstances of life may be, if they're sunny, if they're stormy, God will put us on the right path and be with us to lead us and guide us. That is the beauty of this psalm. There was a group of us that just came back from the Holy Land, and we were able to visit the southern part of Israel where this psalm was written. And let me tell you, there are no green pastures to be found. It's an area that's barren. It's a rocky kind of wasteland. A shepherd doesn't just get up in the morning and open the gate and set the sheep out to graze. No, they're just sprigs of grass here and there, and they're hard to find, and the water is harder to find still. And and so a shepherd has to lead the sheep to find what they need. A shepherd has to lead them to the grass. A shepherd has to find the safe water for them to drink. In that part of the world, it's so dry and arid that there are little pockets of water here and there, but sometimes they can become stagnant and unsafe for the sheep to drink. And sometimes, as Dr. Long mentioned last week, the rains will come and the water's too dry and hard to absorb the water and floods can happen. And so again, the shepherd is needed. Several years ago, my husband Chris and I went on a trip to the Holy Land, and we were at Masada and near the Dead Sea when our guide told us that we would have to leave the area at a specific time because there was a storm on the way. And he knew that the ground wouldn't be able to absorb the rainwater and flooding would occur. And so we left at the designated time and everything was fine. But there were a couple of tourist buses that decided to kind of ride it out and just kind of risk it. And they were left behind. Everything was fine. Nobody was hurt. But they had to wait there several hours until the floodwaters diminished and the roads were clear again. A shepherd has to lead the sheep to safe pools of water. I've been reading a fascinating book. It's called The Good Shepherd, A Thousand-Year Journey from the 23rd Psalm to the New Testament. It's written by Kenneth E. Bailey. He was a famous theologian and scholar of the New Testament. He actually just passed away a month ago yesterday. An incredible man has several books, and uh, he was born and raised in Egypt. His parents were Presbyterian missionaries. And because of that, he had this deep love for the people of that area. And he grew to study that in his own life. And he would spend more than 30 years of his adulthood teaching and researching and spending time in the Middle East. And he's been instrumental in helping those of us who live here in the western part of the world to have a better understanding of Jesus who lived in the Middle East. And so in this book, The Good Shepherd, uh, Kenneth Bailey had done some research on the different types of ways to raise sheep in that part of the world. And he noticed a difference between shepherds in Egypt and shepherds in Israel and Palestine. He said that the shepherds in Egypt drive their sheep from behind. They walk behind their sheep with sticks and they drive them to the areas that the sheep are supposed to go. But he said in the Holy Land and places of Israel and Palestine, you'll see shepherds with their sheep or their goats, and they walk ahead of their flock, and they call them. Sometimes they use a flute or a little pan pipe, or sometimes they sing out or have a special call, but the sheep know the voice of their shepherd. The sheep know the call that their shepherd has for them, and so they follow him anywhere. Even today, sometimes shepherds will gather around noon around wells in the area and all their sheep will kind of mingle into one big flock, uh, drinking the water from the well and allowing all the shepherds to kind of have their noon meal together. But then there comes a time that it's time to part ways and each of the shepherds can go up to this huge flock of sheep and call out their sheep by their special call and the sheep will follow them. In the book, The Good Shepherd, Kenneth Bailey tells of a story that happened in the 1930s at a time when the British government was overseeing Palestine and there had been rioting. And so the British government wanted to discipline and and punish the area. And so one of the things they did to a small village was they took away all of their sheep and cattle. Now they would let the villagers buy back their own livestock at a fixed price. And one of those affected was an orphan boy that his six or seven sheep were the only possessions he had in the world. And so somehow he was able to kind of come up with the money, and so he went up to the British soldier and told him that he wanted his specific sheep back. And the soldier was very skeptical that he would be able to identify his sheep out of the hundreds that they had confiscated. But the little boy gave him the money, and then he called out to his sheep who came running through the gate and then followed him home. It reminds us of the passage of Scripture where Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John, I am the good shepherd, and my sheep know my voice. I call out, and they follow me. The sheep follow me because they know my voice. How is it that when we follow Christ— we can better know and recognize his voice. The more that we listen, the more we spend time with Christ, the better we are at recognizing his voice. And so we spend time in worship, in fellowship with one another, in our own devotional lives, in prayer and Bible study. It's also why we've asked you to memorize the 23rd Psalm. We have these Uh, little tent cards to help you. Uh, We have them out and about the church, or you can uh, request one, but these have the 23rd Psalm to help you memorize it. Now, there's nothing magical about memorization, but when we take the time to really understand the deeper meaning of this text, and then we commit it to memory, it's like we're imprinting it on our soul, It's like we're memorizing the voice of our shepherd so that we can follow him wherever he leads us. Second, he leads us in paths of righteousness. We can trust that God will lead us in the right path. Now, the circumstances of our lives will change, but God is constant and God is with us, and God can be trusted to lead us where we need to go. We can trust God to lead us in the right ways. But the truth is, we won't always understand why we're on this path. We won't understand because we can't always see the road ahead of us. When I was in college, I started off as a music major. Now, it's important for me to tell you that I was an instrumental music major and not a vocal music major. But regardless, if you are instrumental or vocal, all music majors had to take the course Music Theory. And so I signed up for Music th- Theory with Dr. Paul Fry. And I loved the class. Almost all of the class I loved. But there was one small part of the class that I really, really, really didn't like. And that was the part where you had to sing in front of the entire class. Now, I was painfully shy. I didn't want to talk in front of people, let alone sing in front of them. But we had to sing scales, major scales, minor scales. We had to identify intervals between different notes, like a third, a fifth, an octave. I still remember to this day. I don't know why I have this trivia information, but I share it with you. If you ever need to identify an octave, think of somewhere over the rainbow between some and where. I won't sing it for you. If you need to identify a major third, you can think of, oh, when the saints go marching in. And my favorite and least applicable anywhere is how to identify a minor second interval is the song, the theme song to the movie Jaws. Okay. (laughs) I've never been able to use that. And so I share that with you as part of this, but I couldn't understand, beyond having that trivia, why I needed to be able to sing it. I was an instrumental major, and even I knew I wasn't going to be a professional musician. I wasn't going to be in an orchestra or symphony, but why did I have to sing this stuff? But there was no choice it was part of the curriculum and it was a requirement of the class and so every time my turn came around my stomach would just turn over and I would get sweaty and nervous and my throat would constrict and I tried to sing as quietly as possible and and inevitably every time I started crying I was a mess and none of that helped my singing voice it was awful now, Dr. Fry was known, he was an older professor, and he was known as kind of a strict disciplinarian, but he was also very kind. And so he let me start singing to him after class was over. I'm not sure if he was trying to be kind to me or to the class, but I think it worked out well for everyone. And what he taught me was that every voice will be better if you sing louder and with confidence. And what he was teaching me was not just about music, but about performance and, and about how to rehearse. And and it stayed with me. It's been years and years since I've played my clarinet, but I would have no idea when I took that class that I was on a path to become a pastor of different churches. And there would be many times that I would have to lead singing. And so those lessons were very helpful to me over the years. We don't always know the path that we're on or understand why we're there, but we can trust that God is with us, and God will lead us in the right path for us. Now, in the book, The Good Shepherd, Kenneth Bailey also goes on to point out over and over again the phrase, "path of righteousness. And he says that when you see that phrase, It also comes supposing that the sheep were also on paths of unrighteousness. The sheep found themselves on the wrong path. The sheep got lost. They wandered off. They made mistakes. All of us will experience mistakes, failures, times that we just kind of lose our way. And the important message here is the shepherd always comes looking for his sheep. Think of the time where Jesus tells the parable of the shepherd and the 100 sheep. He was watching over his flock. One wanders off and gets lost, and so he leaves the 99 behind in the hills, and he goes looking for the one that's lost. Now, what's fascinating about this passage of Scripture is that Jesus doesn't tell the listeners or the readers that he secures the 99. He doesn't say, I... The shepherd took care of them and made sure they were all safe and then went looking. No, there's almost this sense of he left them behind to run after the one. Now, when he was telling this story to his Jewish listeners, he's comparing the kingdom that they were experiencing in the government with the kingdom of God. The Jewish uh, people that were listening to his story were very aware that the king, the government, didn't care for them. At the time of Christ, the governor of all of Judea was Pontius Pilate, and he wanted their tax money, and he wanted to tell them what to do, but he didn't care about them personally. And so Jesus tells them this story. You know about the kingdom of the Roman government. Let me tell you a story that tells you about the kingdom of God. There was a shepherd who had 100 sheep, and one got lost. And he left the 99 to go run and search for the one that was lost. Now, that story was one that uh, Kenneth Bailey used, and he talked about how important it was for a friend of his by the name of Dr. Andrew Roy. Andrew Roy was a professor, a Presbyterian professor, and he worked in China at the time of the end of World War II. And he decided to stay in China when the communist regime took over. And he quickly came to their attention, and he was brought in and arrested and interrogated. And they wanted to belittle him, and they wanted to prove to him that the teachings of Jesus were inferior to the teachings of communism and their government. And they used this story of the shepherd with 100 sheep to point that out to him. They said, what kind of shepherd would leave behind 99 to go after the one? The only value that that one sheep has is as part of the group. As an individual, it means nothing. Dr. Roy countered their interpretation and said, but imagine how good it must feel to the 99, to the group, to understand that if they ever became lost or separated they know that the shepherd would go looking for them. He leads us on paths of righteousness. Whether we wander off, whether we find ourselves lost, we know that God is with us and will never abandon us. And third, he leads us for his name's sake. The shepherd leads the sheep because he is a shepherd. That's what shepherds do. It's not because of what the sheep are, but who the shepherd is. That's what is important. And so the shepherd takes care and provides for the sheep. It's because of his nature. The sheep may be a rare, expensive breed that we could understand if the shepherd you know, risks his neck to save, and yet we wouldn't understand if was risking his life over kind of a, a common sheep that just wandered off. But it's not about the, the worth of a sheep, the supposed worth that we might place on one of the sheep, whether that's high or low. It's because of the identity of the shepherd that all of this matters. It's the shepherd who cares for the sheep because they are his flock. One of the places that we visited while in uh, the Holy Land, was St. Anne's Church in Jerusalem. It's situated near the beginning of the Via Dolorosa, and that is known as traditionally the way that Jesus took toward the crucifixion. Well, the church of St. Anne is built over an ancient church that was built to mark the supposed location of the childhood home of Mary. And so the church is named in honor of Mary's mother, Anne. Anne. And it's a beautiful church. We were reminded of Mary's journey throughout life and how she must have wondered about the path that she was on when she received the news that she was pregnant and not yet married. And yet she trusted God to lead her because she knew who God was. She must have wondered what everyone would say and what would happen to her, but she trusted God to lead her. We're in this beautiful church, and it's constructed in a way that the acoustics would be perfect for chanting. Now, there are several archways in the ceiling, and they cause the sounds of singing to kind of bounce and reverberate. And I've always loved visiting that church in the past when I've gone to the Holy Land, because it's been a, a very special moment when the tour guide would ask the group leader to lead the group in a hymn or a song, and I've always loved the sound of being in a group singing a hymn of my faith and hearing the words just echo off the walls, hearing the words kind of build and grow. But now I was the leader, and I would need to lead the singing. And so I was so thankful for people like Beth Armstrong and Karen Nicholas who were there and had much stronger voices than I. And that morning we sang Amazing Grace, And the words just echoed and filled the sanctuary, and it was lovely. But I stopped after one verse because I wasn't sure that everyone would know the other verses. And it was obvious that the group wasn't done. They just sat there, and and I knew I had to do something. And so I'm racking my brain trying to think of some song that everyone would know and that I could lead and be confident in. And in the midst of my thinking, a woman's voice broke out. And a woman in our group started to sing Ave Maria. She had a beautiful voice and it filled up the entire sanctuary. And, and because of the echoes, it, it kind of seemed to keep growing. It was the perfect song for the perfect moment. Her voice was lovely, and, and the words to the song are from a, a prayer and the words of scripture Hail Mary, greetings. You are blessed. You are full of grace. The child within you is blessed, and God is with you. I couldn't help but imagine how those words must have given Mary strength for the journey. God is with you, as she wondered and worried about what would happen to her. God is with you, as she would grieve later on in life, not understanding Before the resurrection took place, God is with you. This voice was an incredible gift at the perfect time to remind all of us there that God was with us. Now, the fascinating thing about this woman is that prior to the trip, she had no connection with St. Luke's. She is Roman Catholic and she lives in Chicago, But quite a while back, she and her sister were encouraged by their brother to take a trip to the Holy Land. Now, her sister happens to live in Edmond. And so she did a Google search and up pops St. Luke's leading a trip to the Holy Land. And so these two women step out on faith and decided to join a church group that they didn't know any of the people. They didn't know anything about our church. And they decided to take a journey with us of almost 7,000 miles across the world. And we were blessed because of their presence. We were blessed because of the friendships that were made. And we were blessed by the gift of Ave Maria in the church of St. Anne that reminded all of us that God is with us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The 23rd Psalm is not about having the perfect circumstances in life and having an abundance of things so that we can be self-sufficient. The 23rd Psalm is about being with the one who is all-sufficient and who will lead us through whatever circumstances we may have to face in this life. We know over and over again that God is with us. And so we can confidently say, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayers.